2: Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
3: This is the Besotted Pride of West London podcast and we're here at the Distillers pub in Amersmith, W6, which is technically, could be Fulham territory. But we would like to think for now it is in QPR territory because we thought we'd come as close to the ground as we would like to come for the game today. For the game on Saturday, we come today to discuss all things Brentford. My name's Billy Grant, as I say, and I'm sitting in the Diskillers Wicked Pub pub, we come here loads of times to do podcasts here, taking good care of us, music playing in the background, all sorts of ornaments on the wall and stuff like that, which is all good, and drinking a pint of
4: something different today, I'm not quite sure what it is, I'm sitting here with my boy, Dave Lane, how are you doing? I'm good mate, I'm good, as you say, it's a bit of a recce for Saturday to, today, uh, we're, we're, we're heading, heading this to this neck of the woods-ish again um, in a few days time. Big game Saturday. It's good to see that we're close to selling out now after a little bit of a spluttery start. Um, yeah, so we're, 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 we're in a bit of an upbeat, upbeat mood today. Um, last Saturday, that uh, certainly um, blew, blew the cobwebs away. Got a uh, stinky October off our back. So, yeah, lots to talk about. Should be a, should be an upbeat, vibe-y, vibey night. And we've got my man, the Jimmy Mack in the house. We thought we'd get him the family man because
3: their family splits down the middle. There's some Brentford and there's some KBR, but we've got the the Brentford contingent in the house today. Jimmy, Matt, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, really, really great, actually. Uh, I was thinking the last time i done
5: this uh, podcast was, I think, the first day of the season, which was was here in the Stillers. And, uh, yeah, I haven't been since, so, um, yeah, good pub. I'm drinking a nice uh, chocolate porter, which is going down very well. And I must share this with you. I don't really have, you mentioned a, a family man, right, so on Saturdays now I do try and uh, uh, after the match if I'm near at home you know which KPR is near home I'll try and get back for seven or so so I'm thinking how am I going to work this on Saturday KPR is the big one you know. There's, there's family rivalry going on there's, there's general rivalry going on I want to have a big day so Monday this week I'm thinking how do I how do I make this work out of nowhere the missus says i oh, just so you know I've decided that this weekend I want to go and see my dad do you mind if I go? Thinking, oh yeah, when? When are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking of going Friday, and I'm going to come back Sunday, and I'm going to bring the kids. And you know when you, you know when you really try not to sort of jump for joy, and you sort of <laughs> gently try and say, No, no, of course you should see your father. I just kidding. I don't believe in miracles, right? But this is like truly a a gift from the gods. So I'm raring to go for the weekend. I really am. I can't wait.
3: Excellent, so Jimmy Max going to be potty for it on Saturday and Friday and Sunday and uh, if you see him lying in the gutter in uh, the Shepherd's Bush area on Saturday, just give him a hand everybody. We've got the Gary, Gaz, the Gaz Paul in the house again, how are you doing my man?
0: Yeah I'm doing fine Bill, I tell you you've woken me up out of my slumber and brought me down, we're probably halfway between one team I don't like and another team I don't like and I'm pretty sure you know the names of those two teams.
4: I don't know, he might <coughs> Chelsea and um, Millwall. Lake Norwich. Norwich No. Yeah. So we're um, we're we're a bit buzzy now, aren't we? You know, we, we, Millwall was a bit of a bit of a like a sticky one. We we didn't really know whether we were going to turn up for a full defeat on the trot under Thomas Frank, but it worked out. It worked out all right in the end, didn't it, Bill? I thought it worked
3: out um, quite fine, though, Thomas Frank. Um, victory, we can relax a little bit and tell you what we're going to do as well because we're going to chat and listen to the Millwall fans, the Brentford fans chat a little bit about Millwall. I just want to say as well, I'm very happy because before coming down here today, I met a Russian girl on the train here we go. Yeah, 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 listen, everyone's choo, there's choo. picked up Choo-choo, I met a Russian girl on the train, um, she was actually wearing a bees hat so I went, of course, bees, bees, army, army and she turned around and goes, yeah, Brentford fan, she goes, yes, I am a Brentford fan so we had a little chat we had a little conversation and it happens that she lives literally about five minutes two minutes walk from our new stadium in Lionel Road she actually lives in Lionel Road Brentford goes to Brentford matches Russia's moved over here you know family everything like that and potty for it probably going to come out in the boozer going to come barbs going to just hang out but absolutely loves Brentford her name's Senya Senya was, was she one of the supposed
4: 150,000
3: Russian spies living in London Obviously, she didn't divulge that information at the time. But no, which is all good. So if you're listening to the show, which she said she's going to be listening to on Thursday morning, welcome to have another listener. And thank you very much, It's Great having a little chat with you on the plane. And great having you as part of the Bees Bees, Barmy Army, as they say. But listen. Red
4: Army.
3: Red Red Army. Literally the Red Army, yeah. (laughs) So listen, anyway, we're going to go back to the Saturday's game. Mill game. We're going to listen to what the fans had to say in the pub. And then we're just going to have an overall reflection on Millwall and the positives, maybe some negatives from that game. That
6: was a really good game, actually. I mean, first half we, uh, first half we were looking a bit short on confidence. Minute that first goal went in, the whole team went up a notch. Really good performance. Uh, we deservedly two 0 win. The one player I would have loved to have seen score a goal was Malpay, really putting a shift today. Disappointed he didn't
4: get a goal. It's fine margins, isn't it? Last week at Norwich, their player takes a goal well. Malpay misses one. We could have got a draw at Norwich, and people would have been saying it would have been a good point. But we, we did well today. We, we, we saw out some, some early pressure from Millwall. It was pretty agricultural. Got the ball down, played our stuff. And we started to look good again, I thought. But yeah, we just seemed to up it. Millwall, we we pressured them. They didn't have time on the ball. They couldn't keep the ball on the pitch. We did. We attacked in numbers. At the end, what was interesting was when Watkins came on, it was almost like him and Morphe were playing like a front two. The interplay between those two players was very, very good. And Millwall couldn't handle it.
3: You know, we hit the bar twice through that game. We scored two goals. A couple of really nice moves in the second half that came to nothing. We, we were by far the better team. We deserve those three points. And it's great to be great to be back. The Bees are back. And what I really like about Thomas Frank is that the two home games we've had so far with him in charge, he's clapped the uh, Bees fans more often than Dean Smith did in three years. I think he's, he's one that we can really get behind. And, uh, you know, we're still playing a lovely football and that's what we want. And just get a few more results and he's, he's you know, uh, no problem. Thomas
7: Fank is, is our manager. Fantastic. I didn't think it was our best performance by a long way. You know, as There's still a few things to sort out, definitely. But in terms of what we needed today, which was roll up the sleeve and get stuck in against a very physical team, I thought we did it very well and deserving winners in the end. I mean, make no mistake, we could have easily one or two goals down in that first half when they, you know, they opened up with those headers and they missed a few petty chances and a couple of fouls um, when, when they had another couple of chances in front of goals. So we, we were nervous. Absolutely, and I think the second goal saved us from a very nervy final few minutes because I wouldn't really want to be hanging on um, in the current environment, but, but we did well. and No one wants to take any moral high ground, but I, I couldn't watch that every week. You know, and if you're going to play long ball, at least be quite good at it.
6: Lo- lovely away day, but uh, a, a difficult game for us, to be honest, Billy. Um, um, actually, disappointing, because I thought we did all right in the first half, and I thought we actually played really well defensively, but actually... We just didn't show enough guard up front and actually I thought Brentford were there for the taking but we, uh, we cocked it up because um, we allowed Brentford to get on the front foot and they beat us and they beat us well actually. It was no injustice. There was a good, good, good performance by Brentford in the end. Now, to be honest, last season, we robbed each other. We, you robbed us at uh, at uh, at home because we mi- we missed a penalty and we were well on top, and we robbed you at, at, at Millwall because actually Brentford were brilliant, actually really well played, really well. When we play well, we we, we 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 play a very fluid and actually a very mobile style, and it's it's great to watch. But today, no, no, mean we, we we just like we we're lumping it forward, and um, and Brentford similarly. If they do it well, they look brilliant. When they don't do it so well, they look they it looks a bit turgid because they just look like they're passing amongst themselves. It was a much needed result and it was a much needed little things like a clean sheet, little things like Ollie Watkins scoring, Canos scoring, um, you could see once Canos got the first goal, the lift in the players. There was some there were some scruffy little moments, but I think basically we were in control the whole of the game. Um, now we need a Go away! Get that first away win of the season. We all know where next week. QPR um, that is. Oh yeah. And um, I, you know, that this this
4: championship can change within two or three weeks. I'm relieved. Uh, um, we're moving in the right direction again. I thought the atmosphere and the performance in the second half was really good. As Andy said, clean sheet. Daniel Bentley needed something to go his way. Not being funny though. Mill words and chances. You know, so you know we, we got away with the one or two things today, but then so did they. You know, we, we hit the post, go oh well, more pay hit the bar, and then um Ben Rama with that shot. So, you know, but I think today we got we got 100 percent what we deserved and we will go to QPR next week and we will win. That they're, they're no great shakes and, and and we are still a very good team.
3: Millwall that was a good day for us um, if you check out our Love Sport radio show on Monday we talked a lot about the Millwall game we dissected it a lot we, we just discussed things we even had um, Kevin Gallon who we didn't actually talk about Millwall at all but yeah good shows you check that back on West London. but just thinking overall that Millwall match we're talking about getting the monkey off the back of Thomas Frank which is very important to do especially going into the game at the weekend and and we did it and now everyone feels a little bit more relaxed do not they
4: yeah, they do. Um, I, I, thought, I I felt a little bit nervous going into the game because I just thought it was, it was obviously all the other games were still fairly fine margins, although in the Preston game, you know, it looked like it was less of a fine margin at the beginning, but in the end it was only a one goal defeat. But I, I thought it, it just hadn't started well for Thomas and I thought that the... The jeopardy was getting bigger and bigger. People were already starting to say, "How many games does it go before you start to you question whether he's the right man or not?" Before you start looking elsewhere. And I think, like anyone with um, anyone that knows anything about you know Brentford and the people that run it and how the club's been sort of managed for the last five six years, they're patient. They're you know I know Dijkhausen, um they realised early on, but it, it wasn't it wasn't like three games in, so. I have I, started to question whether Thomas Frank was the right man. I just like the, the seed started to sown, um, and then I just thought, yeah, he picked, he, he made a couple of changes. Um, he was right to drop Ollie Watkins. I thought, I thought it was slightly brave of him to do it. I thought it was warranted for him to do that. But Ben Rama played really well throughout. Um, there, there were there were plus points, and I thought the team looked edgy and a bit nervy but as soon as the as soon as the goal came and luckily the first goal did come for Brentford I didn't really think the game was in doubt after that we obviously needed a second goal and you could see you know you, you felt that big euphoric roar when when the second goal did go in and everyone knew that the three points were safe and we could start thinking about looking forward again rather than looking over our shoulders because Although it's, you know we we I say it a lot it's a nine month season you know when it starts slipping it I think it's only human nature to say God you know you know when's this going to stop actually and then I think we're also we, we we what we've seen in this season so far is all the teams almost every team um, barring one probably has had um, a, a little spurt. everyone's had a, like a little run of results which have have kicked them up and what's by doing that. The, the whole league is fairly, fairly, um, fairly, uh, fairly like similar. You know, there's only there's only two or three clubs that have got more than six points ahead of, of of anyone else. And you think we're a third of the way through the season now? That's that's it's it's not that's not usual. So um, I, I think the the the, the biggest um, the biggest relief for me is that we're moving forward. We if we if we can get a couple of more positive results, or at least one more, going into the international break. With him, we set up well for pushing back up into that playoff pack.
3: Listen, it was a good result, but it was by no means perfect. Uh, we did still make some mistakes. We, we gave the ball away. And also, Millwall, at times, they actually stopped us from you know, doing our traditional passing the ball out from the back, didn't they? Uh, you know what? Um, it was one of these
5: games that was a bit of a strange run in that, in that even in the first half, I felt really comfortable, even in the uncomfortable moments. For me, the game on the game on Saturday, I went into it thinking it was a foregone conclusion we were going to win. I was really, really sure that it was it was it was never going to get to four games on the bounce defeated, which would have been ten, ten in a row without a win. It just couldn't have happened. Nine sounded about right. We traditionally been a team of a, a, you know through the Smith period, now probably say carrying on to the Franks. Only four games in, where we put these long runs together, but. Mill just seemed like uh, they made for us. And the first half, we let them, um, after a few moments in the box, the big man, who's actually not quite so big, we're really probably quite a small team, had uh, a lot of those chances were uh, two or three from corners. We headed wide a few times. But, yeah, I was never really worried. It was a matter of time. And so it was. Uh, but you did feel the lift. You did feel the tension lift after the first one went in. And the players relaxed. Watkins come on. He's had a bit of a lesson there. I think quite brave of Frank. A man who they were saying at the start of the season is worth 20 million, he's the biggest, he's the best talent outside the Premier League. He's put on the bench, comes on, scores a goal. Uh, can all seems to be getting a bit of form back. I thought it was a really positive day, actually. Um, and the implication of that off the field going into Saturday, knowing that we put these runs together, knowing that the fans are back on side, um, it's big. And um,
3: it's got me really up for the game at the weekend. Thomas Frank, I mean, you've got to be honest no one really knew that much about thomas frank despite him being at the club for two years you know he's been quite a high profile manager in scandinavia came to brentford became an assistant manager but then when you're assistant manager you're sort of kind of a little bit behind the lines you know i mean i've been down the training ground a few times i've been to a few matches all around the place i've met him once and I uh, didn't talk directly with him so I didn't, you know, I don't really know him as such and I don't think the fans have got to know him so it's only recently when he started to do his press conferences he started to, you know, just to talk uh, on video people have started to get him to know him a little bit. Um, is it, what is your thoughts of Bronis Frank?
0: Because for me, he seems to actually be quite honest and, and quite overly open. Yeah, no, I think that is one thing that does come out the interviews I've seen with him is his honesty. I, I mean, as I was very comfortable with him um, being given the role because, because I say like last time we lost the manager so like middle of the season we had that continuity that was and we were able to actually kick on and you know the guy that came in changed things up a bit and we end up getting promoted hopefully um, Thomas Frank will be able to do the same because he's been there he knows his players and he, he knows our system
4: it does seem to be the Brentford um, way at the moment—the way they recruit people. There, there doesn't seem to be many extroverts around. They all seem to be kind of focused, quiet people, um, which I quite like. Actually, I, I quite like the fact that they're thoughtful and they're measured. And they, uh, they, they, when they, when they speak, they actually speak um, with with a bit of insight, and they, they imp- they impart some, some, uh, some, so, as I said, some knowledge. Uh, I don't really want. Uh, I don't think like a, a, an Ian Holloway or a, or, or that kind of character would would work very well actually. Where they just they just spout stuff and, um, they and they talk in cliches and they talk in sound bites. I, I quite like the fact if you're asked a question, they give you an answer as well. It's, it doesn't seem to be a lot of flirting round uh, with with answers or skirting round. Sorry. So yeah, I, I think there, it's a really good fit. I, I think that's a it's the way the club is at the moment. we slightly understated but confident
3: I'll tell you something I'm going to come to you in a minute but it's interesting you say that for me I'm just sort of thinking you've got Thomas Frank he's been there for two years there's, there's a few things which I, to be honest with you I'm actually thinking are these going to be sorted there's a couple of Achilles heels for Brentford the, the long ball into the area you know they're being hit quickly on the break still sometimes we still get that you know, and it's been—it's not a—it's not necessarily been a, a, a Dean Smith thing. You know, we've had it through the Walbert era. We've had—you know—we've had some of these issues with Brentford all the time. I don't know whether or not it's because of the style of football that we play, which may make us—you know—get hit quit on the break, or the fact that the players that we sign means that we get caught out by the, this, this. Or is it the fact that you know there is a particular type of player that we need? And I'm just wondering whether Thomas Frank is saying, "Right now, I'm in charge." we actually aren't going to play with these two midfielders here. I believe we need this particular type of midfielder in here to change the game. What do you think? So, I think, first of all, about the ball, you know, getting caught by the big man from corners.
5: We I are mean, unfortunate on Saturday. Meppen broke his nose in the warm-up, didn't he? So, I've no doubt he would have been marking the big fella and he couldn't do it because his nose was falling off. So, that's why it was Moses marking the big man and that looked a bit juxtaposed. But, you know, I think you can already see some signs that Frank's putting a bit on his team. Um, you know McLeod was nowhere to be seen McKechnie brought a really good shift in it looked like he wanted to play for him my concern was that um, and, and actually I'll mention for De Silva as well you can't really say that maybe that's Frank's man because he's just come back from injury but you definitely see how that lad's got a, a place in this team he's bringing something different to the midfield um, one, so with, with Frank you have to trust um, the owners and the people who run the club the last few years they haven't made too many mistakes and they've had time to learn and get to know Frank, right? So they clearly know what Thomas Frank's all about. But if you go four games in a row defeated, you, you, you know you are in trouble. Uh, the pressure mounts up, and it was there already people were saying, but this all right. We like him because even though he lost three in a row, he clapped the fans afterwards, and it was already sort of like got a feeling of oh maybe oh, this this could all end in this is not going to end in tears after four games, is it? So it was a really big win for him, actually. And I think in so many ways, new players coming in, the style changed up a little bit. Um, It really has drawn a line under that run. And, um, yeah, I think think we can get behind it now.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, go back to the fact that we lost Thomas' first three games, the only one that really kind of did bother me was the Preston one because of the way we conceded the goals, and it was... Really, yeah, you know, just silly goals and silly mistakes. So, yeah, you wonder about that. Saturday, I was a bit worried about Millwall's heights. We ended up dealing with it in the first half, but towards the end of the first half, we started to dominate and then continued into the second half. And I think that does bode well. It does bode well. It's interesting, Jim. You also talked about players. You talked about midfield.
3: You talked about Josh De Silva. Josh DeSilva has I'm not being funny. When you talk about someone being fast tracked, like one minute he's on the injury table, next minute he's bombing around in the middle of the of the centre circle. You know, there's no like, you know, kind of let's get this, move him in slowly. He's like bang, 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 you're in the first team. Now, the question that we've always got to ask, every time you get a manager come in, you know, who are let's say his favourites, but who are their players? And it seems to me that Josh De Silva has been firmly stamped as a Thomas Frank player. Are there any players out there that you think Maybe Thomas Frank players? Well, I think Moses, um will He seems
5: to be a Frank player. I mean, he's, he's getting a lot of match time. I like Moses anyway, really good player. For me, when him and Rico are fit, they're absolute shoo ins to be the fullbacks. Moses on the right and Rico on the left. And I don't know what that means for Dow's guards. He probably after the World Cup has got his eyes elsewhere anyway, you'd imagine but yeah, he looks like a player and again, bold move to drop Watkins, you know, to give give Canos the start, he gave Ben Rama the start, both play well, Canos scores, Ben Rama played really well, I thought it was a real handful, just because Watkins has come on and scored, there's no guarantee, he's going to be, number, he's gonna be the, the main man, so, these are early things to look at. And we're going back to De Silva, it reminded me a little bit of, was um, um, it Tom Adam, what was, what was it, Tom, Adia, what's his name? Adie Adi- 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 Amy. And yeah, that's right, he was, He's that sort of top-heavy midfielder. He's sort of quite a direct runner with a ball, but can also put a tackle in. We've missed that type of player. There's a lot of sort of um, quite lightweight players who are quite nice on the ball, but since maybe Douglas has gone, who's going to crunch a tackle in? And I'm not saying De Silva is you know, going to crunch a tackle necessarily, but he'll hold his own physique-wise against anyone in the league. So based on that 30 minutes of the weekend, you know, I think this he could absolutely be an
4: asset to us, actually. I look forward to him. I think Thomas Frank has been uh, slightly fortunate. I think there's uh, a few players that are coming back to fitness that are kind of coincided with him taking over. Um, I mean, obviously Mod Condes is now he scored today for the B team. We will talk about that in a bit. Um, so he, he, he's back on the fringes now. He's he, I guess he's moving forwards to, to you know A team contention again. Um, there's there's there's, yeah, there's people that we you know we we, we hung quite a lot on, on Marcondes after he, he arrived last, last January. It hasn't quite worked yet. And, um, you know, obviously Rico Henry as well, he's, he's sort of edging backwards, um, back there as well. So all of a sudden he's got, well, all of a sudden it's like we've, um, we've got three or four new players in, 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 in the team. But three or four players that we've, we've actually paid quite a lot of money for. So um, the, I think it's actually it's actually looking pretty good for him. You know, it's for him now to work out where he prefers certain of the defenders. You know, Barbe. He didn't get a start on on Saturday. Is Barbe happy to be a substitute? Probably he isn't. You know, we're obviously hearing rumours about him being on Dean Smith's you know shopping list. So. You know, there's there's a, there's a few, there will be fallout if, if he if he starts to replace is the ones that were in the A team. They're obviously going to be feel a bit snubbed. So it's interesting. And it's funny as well how um, how
5: these agents work. So probably two games in a row, Barbe hasn't started over Onnabajo, and already there's stories in the press about how he's going to join Villa. He's going to get his move here there and everywhere. That's got to be run by it. his agent probably behind her. I'm speculating completely, but, you know, it's, it's a big coincidence, isn't it? He doesn't start. And probably on, on Saturday, you thought he probably found himself to start, especially when Neckham got his nose broke in the warm-up. He probably thought, right, I'm, I'm in here, and he, and he doesn't get picked. By Monday, he's moving to Villa. Leeds want him, Man United want him, Barcelona are going to be for Barbay. I that was quite funny and telling. Was fair,
4: was fair, sorry, was fair play to Mepham as well, yeah, he had his nose broken, but he took a proper smack again during during the first half, didn't he? And uh, I thought, oh my god, you know, the last thing he wants was another smack in the Mui with a broken nose.
3: But if you think about it, and I know, yes, you're right about how the agents work. But on the flip side of it, you've got to think of also, we've got our team, you've got, you know, Dalsgaard on the right, you've got your two, you, you know, your two have come in, which is Konza and Mepham, and then you've got, you know, Barbe on the left-hand side. Right, and that's our defence. Now, the interesting thing is that, you know, as we've said before, you know, Konza has come in, you know, and we've uh, got Jean-Vier as well, who's sitting there. The thought was that Jean-Vier was going to be the number one centre-back. Konza's come in, and you can't replace him. So all of a sudden, you've got Konza, you've got um, um, uh, Chris Meppham you've got Jean Vier and Barbe's thinking well I, I, I want to be centre back he's left back like I said to you all of a sudden has been playing a lot of the time instead of him and then you've got um, and, um, Rico Henry who, who, who played uh, 65 minutes today for the B team so he's imminently going to be coming back into the side you've got to think for Barbe He's going to be thinking to himself hold on a second here you know where do I fit into this I'm fourth place centre back and I'm not even
4: like First place left back anymore? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't. I don't blame him if, if he's looking elsewhere. If that's the case, he's too good. He's too good not to play. Um, I, I, I love Barbe. I think a lot of Brentford fans do. And I'm not. I'm not. By saying that, I'm not saying he should be. He should. He should start every week either. I'm saying it's up to the manager to, to or the head coach to pick to take to the right team. But for someone like Johan Barbe. He, he's, he's too good to be sitting on benches and wallowing and, and, and moping around. He needs to be playing first team football. So you know, I, I love him to be at Brentford. I love him to start. But we, we're we spoiled. You know, we, we 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 need to make sure that whoever Frank does pick as the back four, um, they're watertight. Um, because you know, we st- at, the end, at certain points last season we stumbled across Mepham and Bielend, who seemed to be the ideal partnership. Obviously, Bielend moved on to Copenhagen; he was out of contract, so that got split up. We we're, we're not wa- we haven't found that watertight combination yet, and I I don't I wouldn't rule Barbe out at all.
0: That's no, thing You can't rule him out, and also you've got to consider he hasn't been picked for two games. It's. You know, you don't really know what's in Frank's thinking regarding him. You've got to also consider other players may be looking at moving on. You know, the guys that are entering their 30s. I know that we, if you look at um, Dalsgaard, for instance, at his age and with his experience, I suspect he will be rather expensive for us to keep. We might want to put that money somewhere else in the squad. So... You never know what's going to happen. There's always talk about what's happened with our centre back, especially Mepham. Um, there are possibly opportunities down the line, and he's got to be patient and work hard to get back in the team. Listen,
3: and that's an, an, I mean, we are talking about okay, you're talking about Dallas as well. Obviously, there's a the big talk about Lewis McLeod at the moment now as well. You know, he's obviously got the contract negotiation. We've been trying to negotiate his contract for a while, for a good year or so, I think. And that hasn't quite happened. I think he's coming to the end of his contract at the end of the year. Um, he wasn't in the squad this uh, Saturday, which has caused all sorts of speculation. Obviously, the old press, the old clickbait press, have been thinking we can get pulling a load of Leeds fans and whoever else, Glasgow Rangers fans, into read our story. Saying that you know that you know they're all looking to sign him. Now the question is, you know, are Brentford a bit top sort of heavy? Especially the fact that, and, and we talk about the B team. Um, B team played today; they won six 0 against uh, Reading. She's actually online. You know, people who are, who are lucky enough to actually sit down and do, to watch it today. You know, probably uh, pretending that they're sort of kind of doing loads of work at the office today and uh, and you know, cheering as the goals went in. But yeah, they they play them; they are very very comfortable. And the side of players like Alan Judge was in the side. We had Mark Condes who came back, scored an absolute peach of a goal from about 25, 30 yards in the top corner. You know, we had uh, we the Silva playing as well. Both the Silva's actually played. But Josh De Silva, <laughs> he played as well. We've got these players who are on the fringe of coming into the Brentford side. Plus we have the players already in the side and something's going to give, have to give because we have got a lot of players in our side and we, we can't play them all. And this... Lewis McLeod story, you know, is Lewis McLeod? Would it be a shame if we did let him go? I don't know what the feelings are around the table.
4: Um, you're right. What you I actually want the one thing I will pick out from what you what you just said, and you're right in all of it. Was um, we can't keep them all, um, and if he's out of contract and he, he, he doesn't seem to be like jumping up and down wanting to sign, then you know we, we we're sport for choice elsewhere. We 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 have got loads and loads of options there. You know. But Rhys Cole, I feel really, really sorry for Rhys Cole. He's, he's not getting any any 18 any 18 time. You know, he's 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 a, he's a cracking player. Um, I'd I'd like to see him given another chance. Um, obviously, you know Josh de Silva, he he, he had a he had a storming um, time um, when he when he came on on Saturday. Um, you know we, we you know M- 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 had, a, had a had a great game. We've got Alan Judge, who we, we we've mentioned about maybe dropping back and being used in his quarterback quarterback position. Um, we, we, we've got loads and loads of options, and you know, with McLeod, he's been a bit of he's had a, he's had a jinx time at Brentford. He's obviously the first two years he was here, we didn't even you know we, had, we hadn't even seen him, we wouldn't recognise him if he if, if he came in the pub. Um, you know, he's, he's in, he's been, he's unlucky, he got all, an awful injury at QPR. Um, and, and he has—he's—he has been quite good this season, and, and he had—he had a bit of a bit of a purple patch towards the end of last season as well. So, i um, you know know—it's—he's—he's he's full of promise, but. Um, i got a feeling it's not destined to work out as a, as a Brentford legend so you know if it, if, it, if it isn't working then I'd rather, I'd rather have someone else coming through that is like, chomping at the bit to play for Brentford rather than someone that's looking for a move next year OK so listen so looking for a move we've got players plenty
3: as they say and our season started to pick up because we've won one of the, the derbies Got well, another derby coming up on Saturday which we're going to talk about in a little bit but sometimes maybe We've got some players, but there might be some players that we might want to bring back from the past. Brentford
4: players that we can bring back from the vaults. This has been triggered triggered by um, the fact that Wayne Rooney's been given a uh, <laughs> it's been given a, a bonus cap against the USA in, in, the, in the England friendly. So it got us thinking. You know, one invited back for one game only, and uh, I posed the question on Twitter. If you could invite one Brentford player back from any time in the past, just for one game only, who would it be? And we had loads of responses. So we'll talk about them after this twang. So
3: the Time Warp machine, we bought it from the shop down the high street. We plugged it in. We we're able to bring back one Brentford player each to come back and play for Brentford against QPR on Saturday. We need that player to make sure we get the victory that we need. Which is all good. But listen, we're going to go around the table. And the reason, like I said, why we did this, Wayne Rooney has come back out of the blue to play this bonus game to get an England cap against the USA. The Wayne Rooney final, whatever else they're going to call it. Are the Wayne Rooney Foundation match. It's going to a good charity, but there's been a lot of malarkey. If you're part of any of the England fan groups, um, WhatsApp groups and, uh, and Facebook groups and, and Twitter, You'll see there's been a lot of malarkey with fans not particularly happy about Wayne Rooney being parachuted in for this one final game. But we thought, tell you something, if we had to parachute a Brentford player in, who would it be? And we put it out onto Twitter and there have been all sorts of names being fired around and you've seen them. Sam Sodji, I thought, was an interesting one. Is, is that Would you bet on Sam Sodji?
4: Yeah, no, there was a load of names on there that I thought, yeah, that'd be interesting. Run for, run for a few. Yeah, and it's, it's Chris Moore as well. Um, Chris Moore, the, the Coca-Cola kid
3: got money for him to, to to basically give somebody out of the blue, play a game to so Chris Moore and he said he's right up for it as well, so did Marcus Gale he said he's up for it as well, a few people voted for him Keith Jones, I love old Jonesy, he was brilliant Brian from Marcus Bean some people said for a laugh, Murray Jones you know, Gary Blissett of course the Blissets and the Holdsworths of course are in there, Stan Bowles as well There's a lot of charities going around trying to raise money for him at the moment now, so Lloyd has got lots and lots of lots of lots of, as well there's a few older players in there as well like Ian Holloway I thought that as a bit of a joke as well and also Len Bond got a little shout as well didn't he yeah he did or, or his gloves perhaps
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> and there's Steve Phillips as well and uh, yeah there's Chesney as well who technically are you allowed to put loan players in there or do they have to be full time Brentford players but anyway you know uh, Chesney the old Arsenal goalkeeper is in there but listen Let's go around the table, I'm just going to ask you guys, if we had to jet a player in, in the TARDIS, from back in the
4: day, on Saturday, who would you bring in? Me, I'm going I'm to take this a little bit seriously, actually. I'm going to say, I'm going to pick a player who I think could actually do a really good job for us. And I reckon he could do a job for any team, uh, at any time, any Brentford team at any time, because I thought he was, a, he was an athlete at, at when he played for us, and I thought he had a, had a wicked turn of pace, someone I reckon would integrate really well into this. Not, not massively dissimilar to Neil Morpe. Um, Neil Morpay, I, I, I've described as a, a like kind of a bit of a boxer. You know, he's always on his toes and, he, and he's, a, he's a battler, he's a scrapper. Um, but this player, he was, he was able to go shoulder to shoulder and have a grapple. That player is Richard Cadet. And I, and I, thought, I thought Richard Cadet. He would, he would, he would still score goals for Brentford. At, at his peak, he would get the ball. He's back to goal. He'd drop his shoulder. He'd twist, and he'll be through. And he'd be, he'd be on that last shoulder, waiting for those balls, beautiful balls to be played into him. He, he'd score at least 15 goals a season, to, even today for Brentford. So for me, one game only, Richard Cadet. Ooh, Richard Cadet in the back of the net? And Jimmy Mack. You're bringing a player in,
3: flying them in, doctor whoing them in right into this game. Who would it be? For me as a player who, um, so very shortly after I got my first
5: season ticket, Ron Nodes took over, the following season actually, and we went on that amazing year, we got all the players in, and we had the Awusu's, the Heridersons, the Rolands and the like, and we ended up winning the league, but this man for me stood out among all because his skills on the wing his ability to take a man on his style where he always he was looking down he was almost like he was digging into the grass as he was taking the ball around one man and another man he could take a free kick he could score from distance even when it wasn't a go on and he wasn't looking there'd be times where he'd have a shot and he would hit the back of the net and not just because his skills on the pitch for me this man has always been an enigma the way he disappeared and from going from that season where you think, oh, this man has got a 10-year career at the top level to disappearing. No one saw him again. Oh, what could have been? Where did you go, sir? What's your story? I'm talking to you,
3: Tony Folan. One more game. Come back, Tone. I'd love to see it. i tell you something. We are talk- in chat with people over in Ireland as well who know Tony Folan. We may actually bringing back just for you Jimmy for one of the Besotted Socials. we us talk about the Besotted Social put your date in the diary the 21st Friday the 21st of December we've got the Besotted Social at the Fuller's Brewery once again it's going to be wicked it's going to be great we've got our guest coming in from somewhere we're not going to say exactly yet we need to completely lock it down it is locked down actually but we just need to have a chat with him probably tomorrow just to make sure everything's alright but just put that date in your diary we'll get the tickets on sale ASAP Fuller's Brewery is always a proper 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 laugh that the
0: old Christmas social at the Fuller's Brewery, guys. Well, to be honest, for me, I think I don't know. I mean, Jimmy briefly mentioned it a minute ago, but it's got to be bringing back Lloydie, mate. <clears throat> it got to be a wusu. Um To paraphrase that um, famous Geordie caller on Talk Sport, he scored so many goals, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it just great days, and you know, to be able to do that, raise the roof. Um, you know, obviously the two spells he had with us were great, and he's such a great guy as well.
3: Ludo Russo, and that was my—I put a little choice for Ludo on the Besotted uh, Radio Show on Monday. But for me, you know, I'm sort of thinking back that a lot of the time. You have really some of your fondest memories of your players are when you're young, when you start to your formative days, when you start going to football. You know, when you start going, maybe you went with your parents when you were younger, then you start going by yourself. You started having laughs. So when you start to enjoy yourself, there's certain players who you used to love. And if you probably look back at the team in those days, it maybe won't even be the best team in the world, but that didn't really matter to you at the time. And for me, I've got to go back to a player who played for Brentford in my formative days. It was only my probably my second year of supporting Brentford or, or something like that and he was a player who came into the side and I remember meeting him in the in the, um, in the the forecourt just when he signed for them and I went up to him and uh, I'd heard about he was going to come and I signed, I sort of looked up to him and I was just so proud that he signed he was the, would say the first black player the first black player to have played a league match for Brentford and that was very important at the time because there weren't any and to have sort of a role model as they say is um, coming up there and playing and it was Chris Kamara and I just remember Chris Kamara playing in that midfield. He played, and it's interesting, because he played that game with Stan Bowles and uh, Terry Hurlock, He was in the midfield with them, and his debut he made with Stan Bowles. It was against Burnley, and I remember the game very well. It was nil all. I remember Stan Bowles took a shot, just skimmed the post. It would have been 1-0 if we'd scored that one. But Chris Kamara also made his debut on that, but he was a he was a hard midfielder, and he was, a, he was a tough midfielder, but he also used to be able to play the ball. And I just was, you know, just seeing him out there on the pitch, he wasn't at Brentford for very long. He was only there for two years, but it seemed like forever. And just to bring him back for one game, I think it would be unbelievable Jeff. <laughs> Indeed. But listen, anyway, look. We <laughs> I mean, <let> never know. <laughs> That's the worst impression I've ever heard. I can't do a Middlesbrough accent, you know what I'm saying. But anyway, look. I've got another Chris Kamara story I'll we'll have to tell another time. But listen, But what we'll do is, if we can get these players back on Saturday... Do you think maybe we should have a word? Because I've heard he's quite open, Thomas Frank. He seems to be quite open. I mean, he waves at the fans. He, he tells us what's going wrong with the side. And maybe do you
4: think he might be up for putting them on the bench? No. Um, I think we ought to leave that in the, um, in the realms of fantasy. I, I, I got. I think whoever Thomas Frank picks on Saturday, he's gonna, they're going to do a proper job for us. OK, we'll see that. But look, they might do a proper job for us. But at the moment now,
3: Brentford are doing very well because the league is as it is. But the question we ask ourselves is, is all these talks of this breakaway league. They want to go and, and take all the money elsewhere. How would that affect clubs like Brentford? And are we happy with this idea of having a breakaway Super League? So just in case you haven't heard, football leagues. There's a story going around at the moment now. The German newspaper, the Spiegel, has basically found all this documentation. It's probably sort of like WikiLeaks for football. It is WikiLeaks for football. It's probably, you know, same people, but they've just given it to a load of football people and they said, here you go, there's a lot of documentation of stuff that is going around in the footballing world. Have a look at it. And there's various things about, you know, maybe a little bit of corruption here and people trying to do dodgy little deals here and there and and everywhere. And um, it's been leaked and it's been put out and De Spiegel has been printing it one by one, day by day. If you go there, just check it out. But on top of that, one of the interesting ones uh, which we thought that we'd discuss here is talking about the Breakaway League. The Breakaway League, okay. So what's the Breakaway what are you talking about? There's been talk of having a Breakaway League, a European Breakaway League for years and years, so it's actually no information except for, according to the Football Leagues guys, actually it's something that potentially it's imminent not saying imminent but there's talks been happening in the last few weeks and the last few months of certain teams coming together to try and see whether or not they can actually formulate this breakaway league form themselves a little coalition and make it go forward and now some people might say well let them do what they want to we don't really care the question we're going to ask around the table here is that is this going to be good for clubs like Brentford clubs like Accrington Stanley clubs like the lower leagues you know with the amount of money that's in football you know is there any more money to go around will the money that is there be focused towards these other competitions and also more to the point what is it about the ethos of somebody to break it away and just forming a private league and sticking two fingers up to the rest of the world and saying we don't care what we do we're better than you and we're gonna just take everything ourselves and we'll just leave you to fight amongst yourselves Lainey
4: well, first and foremost, you know they need to come up with a better name than Breakaway League. That's shit. That's a shit name for a, for a league. The Breakaway League. Yeah. So they need to call it the, the 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 Super Mega the Super Mega League, obviously. Um, unless
5: unless it was it's sponsored by the eighties chocolate bar, the Breakaway. I think that's I think that's yeah, the idea. Maybe that's that's the,
4: is. the Breakaway. League. They're an uh, early sponsor. They're uh, they're an early sponsor or a late sponsor even. Oh, uh, a late eighties late sponsor. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been mooted for as long as I can remember. Um, like, le- there's always disgruntled big clubs in lower, in smaller country leagues. No, mainly Scottish clubs. It's normally always Rangers and Celtic that want to break away from 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 Scotland. They want to be in they want to be in a, in a in a league where they're playing um, clubs that have got like forty thousand capacities every week, rather than going to St. John'son. Um, it's obviously like the Dutch, the Belgians, um, to some extent French, Portuguese league. Obviously, Spain's a bit, a little bit different. So is Italy. Some of the Eastern European countries, Poland, they've all got one or two like standout big clubs, and they they've always they've always been rumored to be colluding to try and I think it was called the North Atlantic League or something at some stage. And I, I can I, you can see why they want to do it, but ultimately you can see why it can never it should never be allowed to happen you know, whether whether Glasgow Rangers and Glasgow Celtic like the fact that they're big fish in a small pond or not it's tough, it's tough, tough, tough turkey, mate. You know, you are a Scottish club and that's where you will stay as far as I'm concerned. You know, I don't want them in the Football League. I don't want them as part of the, the English setup. That's been mentioned as well. Um, these geographical borders, you know, are, are there for a reason, you know. Uh, you know, especially now, especially after, after you know, the Europe's supposed to—we're supposed to be going back within our nations, not not sort of merging with Europe, and for the football for the football clubs to be mooting this kind of unified Europe seems a little bit odd. But, but you know, I, you can see why the clubs want to do it, and and but I just think it would just decimate. It would certainly decimate the Premier League, and then you would always have the concern that. The, the, the TV money would follow the big clubs and what what would what would be left for a prem that we, we might be part of there's, there's the point there
5: right what I can imagine happening is the super league kicks off and the European super League happens the year after Brentford win the championship so we get promoted into a Premier League the promised land but the same year that man United City, Liverpool, Chelsea and Arsenal have all left. And Sky Sports have taken all their money away from the Premier League and they put it towards the, this, the breakaway chocolate bar league. And all of a sudden we're earning less money now than we're in a championship. And the uh, Matthew Benham bowl is half empty. And this, this, this is the worry. I mean, but what, why would Man City and Man United and the rest, why do they want to jeopardise the Premier League? I can understand why Bayern Munich want to do it while... Galatasaray, why Ajax, why Red Star Belgrade, whilst Kluge I know why they're interested, but why would the Premier League want to burst that bubble? They're do a good thing.
3: It's money. It's, it's even. It's even more money. That's what it. That's, that's what it literally comes down to, that Jim? But how much? How much
5: more of a percentage can they make? The Premier League clubs are at top end. I, I don't, I'd, I'd be surprised. It's five to ten percent more
0: yeah but that's that's the key though Jimmy you've got to consider that um, if you have um, you've got to consider if, they're, if, they're, if they've got what £4 billion worth of um, TV money split between 20 clubs, why do that when you can split it between less and you know that's the way they've always operated, we've seen in the past in other sports back in the 80s with Rebel Tours to South Africa, yes it did mean that Players weren't allowed to play international. They didn't care because they got paid and it was made worthwhile they're doing it. While it is worthwhile, and once they can, if they can make £5 more than they've got at the moment, they're going to push for it. That's just the way they are. Unfortunately, these teams have never wanted an even playing field. Why would they? I'll ask a question though. I mean, we talked about the
3: TV streaming thing. A couple of weeks ago, and we talked about the fact that, you know, we've got t- Tuesday, Wednesday nights, and then we've got Saturday 3 o'clock, you've got your iFollow, and eventually we're sort of saying it looks like this streaming of football all the way through is going to be inevitable, you know? And how, uh, you know, and we're not saying it's right or wrong, but what do we do, or what do clubs do, or what does everyone do to deal with it, and how does everyone benefit out of it? Coming back to this situation here now... You've got this mighty force trying to to break away. You've got people like Infantino who's turned around and said, you know, if these clubs break away, then these players can't play in the World Cup. They can't play in the European Championship, Champions League, all this kind of stuff. I'm going to ban them from doing that, you know. But at the end of the day, sort of
0: money talks. I'm wondering, is this not inevitable? Yeah, it's inevitable. I mean, Infantino can say that, but every week we look and there's some player turning around saying well you know I'm retiring from international football so what you know what would
4: they care you know I wouldn't say it's inevitable. Um, it's obviously, you know, you know what business is like. It's obviously sometimes this is used as a, you know, a leverage to get more money out of TV companies. It's a bargaining tool. I, I, I'm not quite sure. It would have to be. A, I mean, like, like a ridiculous amount of money for Man City to withdraw from the Premier League and join this. We call it. We're carrying on calling it the Breakaway League. At the moment, Man City uh, have got. You know, they. they, they They've got Champions League football to, to look forward to, so they've got, they've got money coming in from there, they've got money coming in from the Premier League, they've got money coming in all over the place. You know, uh, to, to, to withdraw from a big revenue stream for something that may or may not work in five years' time, it might work for three or four years, but then when people, fans don't want to travel to. You know, on a Saturday to European games midweek maybe I, 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 don't think, I, think, I think it will be investigated, I, I don't see it being inevitable
0: Yeah but if you look at the travelling of fans they base this on the NFL and that's what's working in America you don't generally get a, a horde of away fans going from Los Angeles to New York as away supporters of a team you know, they just don't do it in the way in the same way that we do. I mean you can sit there and you can say about you don't get why people would do this. I remember sitting back there in nineteen ninety one when um, twenty two clubs resigned from the football league and I don't you know that was to me that was a big shock, bearing in mind that it was probably only what, ten years earlier that they that the um, Football League already kind of Koto to them and allowed the bigger clubs to keep 100% of the gate receipts for home games. There's,
4: there's too many, there's too many massive question marks about Brexit at the moment. Um, you know, there, there, people, in a in a sporting context or in, a, in an entertainment context, you know, you've got um, a lot of um, bands and a lot of musicians that say they, they don't know how this freedom of movement and uh, the ability to to go on tour post 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 Brexit going to is going to be. You've got the horse racing industry and the greyhounds. And all the, all the all the livestock that move around, they don't know how it, how it's going to work post Brexit. You know, uh, for them to be to, for them to be negotiating um, cross pan European um, broadcasting deals, and uh, it's not the right time, I don't
5: think. I, I must say, I do like the way Dave's just referred to footballers as livestock. I think mean, that's quite good. But let's bring this back to how this affects Brentford fans and. Clubs like Brentford, teams like Brentford, as we say. I don't really care about our European Super League. And I don't really have much time for anything other than the Championship nowadays. The Championship is the best league that we've ever been in. And I think this is the peak league, because having been to Arsenal three weeks ago and seeing what a glimpse at their big time is like, I'm not really sure I'm interested in going there. But a the great league at the moment is, if Man City don't play in the Premier League, how does that affect us? I think very minimally. How does that affect the Halifax fans or the Bristol Rovers fans? Pretty minimal either. Um, I think if anything, if it happens, it could... I mean, the, the move towards streaming is inevitable. It will happen. The zone and likes are going to take control. Independent platforms will do that. But it might strengthen the, the football fan base. The, uh, it might, might put a bit more oomph into people getting down to the teams at the weekend. It might work in our favour. Ultimately, I don't really care about the, what the European super breakaway Chocobar league does. I think it's it can do what it's going to do. It's, it's not going to affect Brentford. It's not going to affect the championship. If anything, that might benefit from
3: it. I mean, it's interesting you say it could work in our favour. I mean, obviously, this is, you know, you as a football fan talking, goes to football every week, who doesn't care about the Premier League. Um, obviously, the, the, the fear is um, the fact that money, TV and money and football clubs and money being basically directed into one particular area and there's only a particular size of a pot of money and all of a sudden clubs like Brentford you know the money that we, you know that we get
4: yeah teams like Brentford the money that we need to, to help us survive all of a sudden starts you know starts to dwindle I, do, I, do, I would find it you know deeply amusing that you know this this Premier League that's basically you know stuck its two fingers up on a football league at its inception, and it was you know it it was kind of like you know the, uh, we're we're breaking away because we're the very best you know, um, and then you'd have like the, the top six then breaking away from that and then then leaving the rest to flounder. I would I would that, I find that a little bit amusing. I, I must admit, but. You know, obviously my my priority is for the, the game to survive and the game to remain strong and, and for Brentford to, to be able to you know to survive and it not affect Brentford. You know, the fact that at the moment we're tantalisingly close to being able to challenge for that top tier is is kind of like I, I, I didn't expect it. I didn't expect it in my lifetime if I'm honest with you. And as Jim said, you know, the championship is is brilliant, brilliant for us. You know, you know, we, we may not win every week, but we've got great games every week. So as long as what's left was really strong and healthy, but I'm not sure it would be. I think I think I think the the TV money would just be sucked out.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a bigger concern, and as um, Jimmy said, it's probably going to affect teams like um, West Brom, Newcastle. Teams of those sides who. You know, no disrespect to them. I don't think they're going to be considered for a European League. Um, it's going to be teams like that that are going to take the bigger hit. It will harm us because it will, whatever people think, it will stop us, um, stop our brand from growing. Because, as Bill said, they will. You know, it is a way to divert more money into the pockets of the big six clubs in our country and the big bigger teams throughout Europe. Um, but they've made that decision several times. You look at Spain, where Barcelona and Real Madrid, and that get they change the systems, so they got the majority of the TV money. Same thing in Italy. Um, same thing here with the Premier League. They, so you know, look at the um, look at the youth and the academies. The systems have been changed to ensure that it's more profitable for the likes of Chelsea, Man City, Man United, etc. They've always done that, and I. I agree with you. I don't think it's going to happen imminently, but for the foreseeable future, this is going to be on the table. And and I'm
3: just going to make a quick point. It's an interesting point there as well. But also, we're discussing this in effect, basically sort of admitting the fact that TV is very important to the income of football clubs. So, you know, love TV or hate TV. The fact that the TV money comes in is you know, it's very, very important to the to the income Football Club. There is a flip side to this as well, because what you do also notice is that as more t- football competitions come on TV, there seems to be more money that comes... It seems to be like more broadcasters seem to be coming, coming on board and putting money into TV to compete against the other competitions. So, say, for example, if there was a Super Champions League that was happening and they're playing on a Saturday at 3 o'clock and they're broadcasting themselves or 10, 12 o'clock, you would probably find that somebody would put money into the championship or these other leagues to put it against them because if they haven't got that content, they'll be putting money in there as well. And this is one of the reasons we keep on saying that this whole TV thing becomes inevitable because it's something that as fans, we can't stop. There's more football and more content and more availability out there through all the different platforms there's more money being available football clubs happening the one thing that the football clubs have got to do we said this before is make sure that this money does trickle down if you're getting more money to come in then if you want to make the sport much more attractive, and you want to have the stadium still full you know make it cheaper if you're getting yourself five six seven billion pounds amongst all your clubs if you want to get those vibes still happening then they still need to make these stadiums full by making the
4: prices attractive I think um, the Premier League has actually got um, a little bit of a problem. Equally, I think I don't I don't want to see it happen, but maybe it does need spicing up at some stage as well. I mean, you know, how many Man United Arsenal games, how many Chelsea Tottenham games can you can you hype up before they actually think it's just another? It's just an it, it, it's, it, it can get a bit monotonous. You know, I know, they, they, I know every, Sky do their best to make them Super Sundays and Mega Mondays and whatever they call them, but I mean, I'm just trying to think you know may, may, maybe at some stage you do need to, to shuffle the pack a bit
5: yeah there's a, a there's the point though so Sky are masters at making you want to watch things I can see it I can see this like the league this, this new league happened in three years ago in three years time sorry and like BT Sports buy the rights or DAZN or some other platform buy it and Sky are left with the 12 teams remaining for the Premier League and Cropped up by the rest of the championship, they'll still be plugging Everton versus Huddersfield and Bournemouth versus Watford on Supernova Sunday for the full week and we'll still watch it because it'll be like oh, Sky have done such a promotional job. Yeah, I mean, this, that's what they do. Thankfully for us, money
3: is not our God. Cliff, I think Cliff Brown said that, wasn't he? So, ain't going to affect us anyway. So, listen, listen. More, I'm sure there'll be more discussion about this. Breakaway leagues, money, TV, football and all that. But look, let's forget about that for now because we've got a big game on Saturday. West London Derby, QPR. Fulham are gone. They've left us for just one season. They'll be back next season. So... Uh, how did
4: they get, get on
3: the How did they get on on Monday? Uh, I'm not sure. not sure, actually. I think they might have... Uh, I don't think they did too well. But anyway, forget about them. QPR on Saturday. We've got big West London Derby. We're going to... Find out first of all from the man from QPR, Gareth from Ranger Thing. He's going to give us the lowdown on QPR in five from the Hive. Five from the Hive,
7: Queens Park Rangers. Hello, my name is Gareth Dixon from the QPR Fan Show Ranger Things on Love Sport Radio. Broadcast every Tuesday, nine till ten been a qpr fan now for about 27 years season ticket holder for many of those years as well and i do get to the odd away game when i can Uh, i actually worked for the club as well for the community trust for about eight years delivering community projects and did a little bit of academy coaching so i've seen the inner workings of the club which uh, has its positives but sometimes has its negatives as well
3: last time he played you ian holloway was in charge this time around it's steve McLaren. Has there been any noticeable difference
7: between the two? So last time QPR Brentford met, obviously we had a different manager in, in Ian Holloway, someone that's uh, familiar to both clubs, more familiar as a, as a QPR man. Um, he had a bit of a, a, a poor end to his reign in his second time at Rangers last season. It all started really away to Millwall uh, on the 29th of December, just at the turn of the year. And he, uh, he got involved with the Millwall fans. They obviously don't like him down there. But he kind of overstepped the mark a little bit of his social media and how he's behaving, and it really did take away from the the opportunity to win that match. Uh, and, and I think from there, his decisions were affected. It always seemed to be sporadic decisions, uh, which related to results as well. We we had very sporadic results. You know, one minute we be beating Villa away, drawing with Fulham, um, who were both the playoff finalists, then losing to Reading beating Norwich at home 4-1, losing to Holloway in the next game 4-0, then beating Sheffield Wednesday at home 4-2. So it was just a, a huge lack of consistency with team selection results and a bit of kind of, do they know what they're doing sort of thing, which is always an alarming thing. Um, there was a heap of senior pros leaving, so the likes of Nederman Jack Robinson, Jamie Mackie, James Pyatt, Alex Smithies, some of these on the way up, some on the way down, but a lot of experience leaving and then you question their motivation and what they really wanted to do in their time at QPR last season. Uh, we also lost Curtis Fleming, who I think was a bit of a, a sensible voice amongst Bertram and Holloway. He went off to Middlesbrough as a coach. Um, so he didn't have it easy. And I think um, he lost his mum. Ian Holloway lost his mum as well. So he, he had a tough time. And to be fair to Brentford uh, and the fans and the club, it, it was. He lost, Ian Holloway lost his mum and you were the next game and, and you were first class to him. So, you know, we have to kind of recognise that as well. So... Um, replaced by Steve McLaren, great reputation at the club. The board love him from his time when Redknapp was there. Again, we were playing phenomenal football under under McLaren. This team's needed a coach for a long, long time. So um, McLaren seems to be the guy that needs, needs to be doing the, the coaching and getting the, the best out of the things he's got because we can't go out and buy players with big money anymore. He didn't hit the ground running, did he? He lost four in the trot including that kind of debacle at West Brom where we lost 7-1. He's not a QPR man, so these things were kind of amped up against him and it he, he, he didn't look like he was going to last. He got through it and we're starting to play good football now. Um, it's not a possession-based game. It's very much counter-attack. Players playing to their strengths, knowing their roles, knowing where they need to be, but it got results. Unfortunately, we lost the last one at Blackburn. but Before that, we are on a tremendous run. I don't think the playoffs is the aim this season. I think it's more about consolidation in the league, making sure that we don't flirt with relegation. There's more poss- pluses, you know, wins at home, wins on the, on the road, which we haven't done in previous years and we're starting to do now. So I don't think the playoffs is a realistic aspiration as much as the relegation is a danger for us. So bed those kind of youngsters in, get them more league experience, you know, get these lone players, maybe turn one or two of them into permanence and push on for next season.
3: Over the years, QPR haven't spent their money wisely. Lots of big money signings on big wages and the players not delivering. Holloway was forced to an extent to bring younger players through. Do you think the new breed of QPR player is doing the business?
7: At the moment, we've got quite a lot of uh, young prospects. The problem we've got is fitting them into the team. um, And that's no more, there's no better example than someone like Ryan Manning, who's on loan at Rotherham at the moment. Um, has been very influential for them scoring two penalties to win them a game last week just being called up to the senior Ireland side but we, he just didn't fit at the time because we had too many in centre midfield got the likes of Paul Smith as well now who uh, hit the headlines well beating, uh, scoring the winning goal against Cardiff on his debut in January last year in and out of the squads uh, but he's a full Northern Ireland international now just getting get called up again and scored on his debut for Northern Ireland Real big prospect and hope, but just can't seem to get into our team at the moment. The big the big player for us, everyone's talking about him, is Zabriche easy He's such a comfortable-looking footballer. Um, he's scored goals, he's created goals, he never looks panicked, he never looks rushed. It's something you don't often see in footballers at this young age, at this calmness, this assuredness, without the kind of cockiness. So he's the guy to watch, really, um, in terms of what he's going to do for us but in the future because I think he's destined for bigger things someone that's probably also destined for bigger things in QPR is Joe Lumley a keeper that's come in um, to replace an under-fire Matt Ingram who was chosen ahead of him for his league experience and um, um, didn't never look confident really. Lumley's come in, taking his chance loads of clean sheets um, and he did the same at Blackpool and Bristol Rovers on loan so he's a keeper that could go right the way to the very top and I think on our show last night, we spoke to Steve Gallon and he was talking about him in the highest possible terms, thinking about clubs coming in and looking at him and thinking, is he, is he someone that can go into the Premier League first team? Then we've got a whole host of others that so we signed, right, i say, Samuel from Blackpool, an exciting winger that is, is used as a sub. Donnell Furlong, Paul Furlong's son, just coming back from injury, but he was first choice right back for um, Angel Rangel. So there's a lot of potential Has already been in the first team. So we're excited about that. And in the under-23s as well, we've got players like uh, Che Tilt, who we picked up from West Brom, Amanda Ote from Tottenham, uh, Deshaun Dallin from Huddersfield. And these boys are all tipped to be, you know, football league players, championship players, and it'll be exciting to see what they do um, in the next couple of years. The academy is doing a great job at bringing players through with the philosophy they've got. Um, which is going to pick up scraps really Easy was released from Millwall we and picked him up and now he's you're talking about you know future talent and England under 20 internationals so the academy's doing a great job whoever's out there scouting they're, they're fantastic and Chris Ramsey's links Paul Hall's links Paul Furlong's links they're getting the boys I mean most of them have been recruited on being released from other clubs so it's not an easy thing to go and do that because most clubs will keep hold of them and stockpile them and, and put them on the scrap heap when they know there's no future for them but we're getting these boys in and, and there's a reputation there at QPR that you come in, you do well you work hard and you'll get your chance in the first team which a lot of these young lads want
3: If there were three ex-QPR players from back in the day you can bring in a TARDIS this weekend to sort this team out and get a result against Brentford who would they be? And
7: why do you think they'd do such a good job? I think um, a couple of players could really make an impact tomorrow from, from the past if we had a time machine. I think first and foremost, it's a London derby, so you need that that metal. And um, the late, great Alan McDonald would have been a great centre-half to have there on, on, on Saturday, just shoring up that back line, heading everything, kicking everything, wearing his heart on his sleeve and the badge meaning everything to him. Unfortunately, we lost Alan a few years ago, but he was a great club man and um, although Joel Lynch has turned himself around a little bit he, he's been missing in these fixtures previously so I think um, you know someone like Alan McDonald coming in would would just bring that kind of that fire that determination that sometimes drags you through these tight matches um, so yeah that would be one I would have in the centre half um, I think it'd be a miss not to mention Stanley Bowles in this situation as well I think uh, obviously another player that played for both clubs again probably more well yeah definitely a Rangers legend and known for his on field attributes at QPR as well as his off field, but I know he was a bit of a character around Brentford as well. Um, and obviously Stan not going through a good time at the moment with his health and his dementia. Um, but you know, what a fantastic footballer to put into an occasion like this and someone like Stan and his character, they you know they would have they wouldn't have shirked from this. This wouldn't have made him shrink. They would have they'd have rose to the challenge and actually welcomed the game. So you know imagine having him in there instead of someone um like Pavel Zolek. Um, just to really be that kind of crafty, wily, fiery, skillful magician that, again, that one bit of magic wins these games so often. Um, and we miss those characters from the game. I suppose the last one, um, who's still at the club, actually, um, as a director of football, is Les Ferdinand. If you could have Les out there on, on Saturday doing his thing, it was, uh, again, another player that played for both. He was on loan at Brentford. Well, he, he was—he was one of the best strikers back in his day. One, the privilege, one of—I uh, had a privilege of seeing him in his in his prime, in his pomp, and it was my first taste of football, and I was spoiled by seeing Les because he had everything as a striker. he could go right, he'd go left. He had power. He was good in the air. You know, he was quick, um, and he and he scored goals throughout his career. So, although our two strikers at the moment in Wells and Tommy um I know Fools, I think Les Ferdinand would would be the one for me that would, uh, yeah, you have all three of them in and uh, it would be a bit of a whitewash.
3: Your record against Brentford is pretty appalling, if truth be known. Since you were relegated from the Premier League, you've only won one of our last seven outings. Why do you think this is?
7: I think um, QPR's um, recent history, not just against Brentford, but in London derbies in in general was pretty abysmal, really. Um, We've had some kind of, like, highlights. I think the two games last year against yourselves and Fulham uh, where we managed to draw 2-2 after being 2-0 down um, just showed maybe there was a bit of a turning point, um, but maybe that was the and Bircham effect, you know, just getting in amongst the players. Um, But our record against Brentford... I think the last couple of years has been pretty poor. I looked and uh since since the millennium we've played twelve. Um we've only won three of them and we've drawn five and lost four. They've always they have been previously tight occasion. The turning point for me was the game with Sky a couple of years ago. Um you were class above really. Yeah, I think it was 2-0 I think a couple of young lads scored that you got from Warsaw uh, we uh, we didn't lay a glove on you that night and it was it was right in my birthday so I was right disappointed um, but it set the trend and the tone for a couple of years to come really um, you know the League Cup fixture last year was 4-1 we don't even think about that um, at Loftus Road because you went so long at although we didn't play each other for a long time um, and I think the last win before 2006 at Loftus Road was 1964 So for Brentford so um, yeah there's definitely been a kind of changing of the guard um, so it'll be interesting to see how we kind of kind of react to that um, and see if we can under McLaren find what's needed to win to win a London derby which is going to obviously be fiercely contested I think the standout one for me in recent years it's got to be the Mark Bircham goal last minute at Griffin Park and him taking his top off for the reveal his John Byrne um, shirt his classic QPR Guinness shirt and um, it was a great day for QPR fans, uh, which Bertram is a big QPR fan, and that, that stands out for me in terms of a positive. I mean, it does stand out how many times you rolled us over too easily with, a bit, with too much more quality than us and a style of play. Um, that, that, that kind of irks me a little bit, but um, for me, the most positive in the last since you know, those last 12 games is definitely Bertram and definitely the two-1. Um... Brentford play a particular
3: style of football. How will this complement QPR's game? Are you confident of getting a rare result? What do you reckon the result's going to be?
7: I think there's a um, kind of jealousy for me personally of seeing Brentford styler play. It's very attractive and it seems to have been embedded over time, which is what you have to do. I think, I'm think i not sure if Rosalie was involved with it, but certainly Warburton, um, certainly Dean Smith, and maybe now Thomas Frankswell, kind of picking up that mantle and... And not really you know changing the style and to get results, you don't seem to be in that position you've been able to kind of embed this style this this philosophy of football and uh you know there's, there's admiration for me personally for that because QPR certainly haven't had a style we've had to win hook or by crook sometimes and bring players in and and chop and change around so um yeah I, I I wonder if that style will remain under frank's. I wonder what the kind of ingredients you you need to kind of push on and become you know, really a playoff team and can you get into the Premier League, Is that, if that's the aspiration. Um, we set up pretty much 4-2-3-1 now, um, it's pretty set in stone, the personnel are pretty set in stone as well, which has been really pivotal for us to get those results over the last few weeks, uh, last few months, so um, a big player for us at the moment who was missing against Blackburn is Jeff Cameron, he came with a bit of a he's done reputation for Stoke, but he's been a phenomenal force in centre midfield so much that he was up for the PFA team in a month. And he's, he's really kind of solidified us. He's got quality on the ball. Um, he looks composed him and Angel Rangel, You can tell they've played Premier League football. So I think if Cameron's in there, it will make a huge difference. Um, I think it will be a pretty tight affair. Um, I, I don't think there's a. I think if you, I think if you're going to come away from home and play possession-based football and go for it, I mean that will kind of play into our hands a little bit because the games we're winning, um, it, you know, we're not dominating possession. It's counter-attack stuff. Um, it's like 60-40 possession. That's home and away. Um, it's not just an away thing. So we're setting up the same. We're setting up to be hard to break down. Players know their roles. So I think that the likes you know Brentford have got some top players that I would be worried about like Sergio Canos because it's going to take a bit of skill to beat them um, Ollie Watkins obviously making headlines a couple of goals coming off the bench big money talked about him Neil Neil Mapai as well quality striker so you know these our boys the, the type of likes of Tony Lentz and Joel Lynch they're going to the, have to be on their game to make sure they're not playing I think the big one for me that I'm worried about Brentford player wise is, is Chris Meppham because uh, apparently he grew up as a QPR fan I know he was released from I think it was Tottenham um, and then he was rejected by Wat- Watford but probably more pertinent to him was rejected by QPR and um, I think he's kind of enjoyed you know showing QPR it was his team Allegedly, um, you know what he's about, and he's probably going to be up for it tomorrow. And he's and he's a quality player again. Another one that's going to be um, looked at it for big money signings for for Premier League clubs potentially, um, or those more kind of affluent Championship clubs. I think I think it's it's a bit kind of uh, you know sit on the fence. I think it will be tight. Um, I, it will be won by the odd goal in three, if any, if that at all. So you're looking at a one nil or a two one um I'll go for a draw I think I don't think that um I don't th- I think we'll cancel each other out a little bit in terms of how good we are and I just think the fact that we're at home um it'll, it, we've got more chance to to draw because we can we can home form has been so crucial to us for the last four or five seasons um you know when we've done well so if we're not good at home we're not we haven't been good on the road um so I think it'll be a draw it'll be tight and um yeah, I'm look, looking forward to it because they're always good affairs apart from when we get beaten 3-4-1. or, four or one.
3: So that was Gareth from Ranger Things talking about QBR, talking about the derby on Saturday. He's, he's quite excited because they've had a little bit of a bit of enough, little bit of enough lift. A little bit. He's given a little bit of hope there. Um, a little bit of hope. This is interesting. Just coming back to the conversation we had before the Ranger thing as well. And you know, the Champions League... Um, results are coming in now and Manchester City won what was it what, the Six winning 6-0 I mean and what did everyone say everyone said what when they, when they won boring boring it's interesting boring a conversation I had with somebody a big professional in the game I'm not going to mention his name and remember when he talked about money going into the game he goes it's fantastic the more money that goes into the game the more money the more money it's even better and better and better and better and better but the fact is that if you get teams like Manchester City who can get money because basically the whole country is throwing it into them and they can buy the best players and the best manager and do everything like that to be quite honest with you it's just uneven it's important
4: it's kind of not really a competition in the end is it? No, it's, it's almost like watching a film. It's, it's like it's like watching some fantasy that fantasy world where you know you've got the best of everything. It it, it, it does seem very very far removed from from, from where we are and uh, yeah it's, it's, it's and a what's bit what's
3: the point it, it, I just say what's uh, the point no,
4: obviously you, you, you're seeking perfection you, you know you, everyone's striving to be the new Barcelona and Man City you know, they're, be- they're beautiful to watch you can't, you can't deny it but you know it, it, but, if you, but if you're going to buy the best things you are going to be the best Absolute best. Do you know what I'm saying? Of everything. Yeah, but you still need to. I mean, the argument is you still need to mould a team, don't you? And, and 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 you still have to make it attractive. And you still, you still. But they, they, you know, they seem to have the best of every single thing, and you can't hate them either. But it is, it is repetitive and it is boring, you know, the analogy I always look at is, you know, when Schumacher won he, won, he won the race every week and he was the best driver and he was the best package and it was the best of everything, but it was boring because he won every week and it's like, you know, you need, you need real variety to, to make anything in life interesting. Whether it's you know whether it's the makeup of your city or whether it's your football team, you need you need different you need aspects from all over the place. So surely, if you were the, the okay, if you were the CEO of the broadcasting company that was buying
3: up these rights, you would actually prefer more variety than
4: to have it boring like yeah, this. Don't yeah, you? I would because I'm a I'm a I'm a football fan. But when you're when you're marketing it to. Um, kids all around the world 14, 15 year old kids that just want to buy the shirts and they're, they're making their parents buy the, the packages they, they don't care I mean I look at my, my nephew he's a uh, you know, he's he's he's, um, he's half British. He's half he's a third British, a third German, a third Spanish, and um, you know he, li- he lives in Germany. And he's he's got a Barcelona shirt because he's you know a bit of him's Catalan. Um, he's got a, he's got a Bayern Munich shirt. He's got a Man United shirt. He's got Brentford. The Brentford shirt is the one that makes him proud. But he's he's like he's a Champions League child. Um, and they, 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 don't, they don't give a jot about heritage. They just want the numbers, and they want the players, and they want, that's, that's all that drives it. Most, most, most people that are paying uh, subscriptions to watch the Champions Leagues, they're not real football fans. They don't go, they never will go. And, and all the time you're up against that, yeah, I agree with you, it's boring, but these people don't find it boring. It's exciting to them. So that might be exciting
3: to them, but what's going to be more exciting to us is on Saturday if we give CUBA a right, Good thumping, and things are looking up for Bradford, mainly because we won a game on Saturday, which means we haven't gone into this game doom and gloom. Thomas Frank, as well, like I said to you, we like him because he waves at the fans, and he's very honest with us. And I think he also knows what he needs to do. He's been through a couple of QBR matches. He was at the match last week when uh, last season, uh, well, both matches last season actually. Uh, he was there when we were three, uh, 2 uh, two, two-nil up. We were two-nil up, and then uh, we came back to two-all you know what I'm saying and then we came back to the other one with we won three, three, we've won 4-1 yeah that's right <laughs> we won 4-1 people are sort of giving me sign languages like you know what I'm saying he's like I'm, I'm all over the place here you know what I'm saying but yeah we we beat QPR so many times I've got no idea even what the score is half the time but anyway Thomas Frank is in there so the good thing about it to me because this is the fear that I have because remember when Dean Smith came in and his first QPR match it was his I'm was just pre- pretty sure it's his first QPR game and we came here we on the, that Really stinky run, and we got bashed up 3 0, and we got bashed up really bad. and The fans were really, really, really angry for that one. And you know, we felt that he wasn't able to sort of instill the passion in the team to make us understand what that game was all about. But after that, he came good. What we're very much hoping is Thomas Frank understands how important it is to win this West
4: London derby. Do you think he does? Yes, I do think he does, um, and, I, and I think the players do as well and the, the thing that as I said uh, as I said right at the beginning of the podcast was the fact that I'm actually a bit chilled about this now I think um, we can just go and play our football and um, I, I think that's going to oh well hold on I'm being waved at I'm being waved at Yeah, no 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 uh, why are you so chilled about it this is the big one of the year right? this is, this is
5: QPR Brentford this is the derby this is the derby we have um, you know some people May have a difference of this, but for me, QPR is a big game. I don't get this sort of lay safe air attitude. We've enjoyed a run of late in the last few years, where we've been turning them over. Doesn't mean that this Saturday is any less important.
4: Yeah, obviously I see that, but I'm I'm approaching this game in a different way this year. I'm just going to approach it as if it's any other game. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get wound up about it being QPR. I think it being QPR. Will, it makes no odds to how the how, how the result will pan out. I think the best team will win on Saturday and now that there isn't silly runs involved the best team is Brentford because we play the best football, we have the best players and QPR okay they stopped the rot but we've got we're up against we're up we're up against like Steve McLaren and his Hair Island. So right okay so let's let's talk about this as a um um, I
5: think where you're coming from in this, Dave, sorry, it's rivalry, right? For me, when I started watching Brentford, full were nowhere to be seen, the first time that dips in our radar was QPR. So QPR are the team that I look out for as the derby. That's the rivals. It's not another game. QPR, when, when we win, as long as QPR lose, my day's a little bit better. I don't hate them. I've got quite a lot of good friends who are QBR fans. have got family QBR fans. But as a rivalry, I appreciate them losing. It's a, it's, Saturday's a really big game. And I think that we, as a club, we need to acknowledge that. Frank needs to acknowledge that. And we're actually... My, my...
4: When did I say that I didn't hate them? When did I say that? All I said was, this Saturday, I'm going to approach it as if it's any other game like rather than it being the big game that it is i'm just gonna focus on it being a game and looking at who the best team is and it's going to be brentford i i agree with all of that despise them want them to lose and i want them to lose no more do i want them to lose on saturday and anyway that's all i'm saying
3: (laughs) and this is interesting as well because we're talking about rivalry here now jimmy has obviously got the rivalry as well, because you know about the history between us, West London, also you've got the family divide thing here, which obviously must hit quite hard. to the but I'm just wondering, you know, how big a rivalry is QPR? Listen, and I know a lot of people might say this is a silly question, we go back to 1967, we go back to the fact that there are, there's four teams in West London, you know, is, is the QPR rivalry as big as it's made out to be. To me, like I said to you, every year we go to Fulham, Fulham always seems to be a bigger rivalry than Brentford. There's always seems to be a bigger uplip in Fulham than there is with QPR. How big a rivalry
0: is the QPR rivalry? thing is, the rivalry is growing. I think what you've got to consider is there's almost a generation of people who didn't really see us play QPR. There's a number of years that we didn't play them, and during that year time, the rivalry with Fulham grew. It's like you know, late seventies we had the rivalry with Watford. Um, that grew over time, that's kind of dissipated. Newer Brentford fans won't know anything about the Watford rivalry. Um then for a while it was Fulham. Now it's really QPR because we're now going to what our third season third, fourth season in a row of playing them. The more we stay around the same, that rivalry will grow. We developed a little rivalry with Leighton Orient because for that year that we were challenged both challenging to go up.
4: Uh, again that's dissipated because they're in non-league now but um... I'd I'd say the rivalry um, is is a little bit it's it's becoming one-sided at the moment because we have we've done so well um and uh, that's not to say it won't change. It's always possible to change. So I, I think the most ferocious rivalries are always when you're quite, not quite sure of how the result's going to be, and you, you've got the nerves, you've got the nerves, you've got the excitement, and you've kind of like you, you need to revenge as well. Um, so maybe they're feeling it a little bit more than we are at the moment. I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to see.
0: No, so after what happened last year in the league game. I, I don't know about you, but I'm really up for this. and really want to beat them. And the fact that. Uh, I'm sitting there looking at them, a couple of places above us in the league. I don't like that at all. I mean, obviously we
3: want to, them being above us in the league, we can't be having that at all. But quite interesting as well, well, and everyone knows that there was the malarkey as well with the tickets, where there was only 500 tickets sold probably up to about a week ago um, because they decided to put only the upper tier on sale, which is about £34. And Brentford fans pretty much went on strike. They said, we're not going to buy any tickets until the lower tier go on sale. QPR said, we're not going to put the lower tier on sale until we sell out the upper tier. So basically, there's a lot of Brentford fans not coming. Now, we put them on sale and we're, you know, we're getting close to our capacity. But I think that is quite, quite, quite an interesting move, though. Well,
5: I, I can almost tell you exactly the reason that that happened. And it goes back to that game in the year that we lost in the playoff final to Stoke. And in the run-up to the final game of the season against Reading... We had QBR about three games to go, and a load of wallies like me were in the top tier at Loftus Road, at the back. I think Stephen Hunt or maybe Roland whacks a ball in. Mark McCammon heads the ball down. None of us can see the goal, and it looks unmissable. There's probably 500 of us at the back cheering like it's gone in, and because we couldn't see the goal, all of a sudden, Gino Badula, the QBR left-back, is running down the other side of the pitch. We, We don't know what the hell's going on.
4: None of us want to be made to look stupid like that again. Is that, so why is that where they had Shitu and Doodoo playing for them? Yeah. 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 Shitu and Doodoo
3: played for them as well, yeah. And Kevin Gallon, who was on our radio show, Love Talk Radio Show, last uh, Monday as well. Oh, and there you go. You, you,
5: you mentioned another buzzword there. And this goes back to the rivalry. Blokes like Gallon, blokes like Mark Burcham, celebrating at Griffin Park. I, I remember when he scored that free kick when they went up. You know, you've got to give him credit, it was a good goal. But how can that not make you want to beat them? How could that not make you want to destroy them?
3: <laughs> and that's
5: how I feel about this weekend. And listen, we are on a great run against them, but
3: the run could come to an end. They, they fancy it. It's true. I think part of the reason is that we've played them seven times. Since they got relegated from the Premier League, as we said on Five and a Hive, we played them seven times. They've beaten us once out of those seven times. So, like, you know, this is the eighth game. We're going into it. And it's all become a little bit blase. And also, there's a little bit... A lot of people that I speak to actually they don't really sort of jump up and down going to QBR. They think, you know, the pubs in the area aren't great, you know, they've all got bounces, it's difficult to get to, it's not a great away day. When you get in the stadium, it's expensive, you can't see, it's a bit of a rubbish away day. Fulham, I mean, we go there and we have a laugh, we take the place over, brilliant pubs, no bounces on the door most places, and we, you know, we have a bit of a laugh there at Fulham. And most people say it's a great day there, but at QBR, it is a bit of a rubbish away day, but when we get inside the stadium, we make lots of loys and we do enjoy ourselves. But um, if, you, if you only had six away days to choose out of all the ones in the in, out of the twenty-three or twenty-two in the in the in, in the championship, personally, probably keep yeah, I Probably wouldn't be one of mine. I'll be picking a few out of London ones, and if Fulham were down there, I'll be picking Fulham. And like, that's just that's just myself. And it's not because of anything else like that. As an away day, it's, it's all right. Want to go and smash them out of the hell? But you know, keep You need to sort out your away days, mate, because it's it's not. Everyone loves coming to Brentford, brilliant enough. Keep your.
4: It's functional. You go there, you beat them, you go home. Yeah, I don't. I don't look forward to it at all. Um, it's just yeah. I think I think the pubs in the area are rubbish. I think that I think it's moody. Um, I, I I I just I don't enjoy going to QPR at all. It's obviously better when you win. Um, but we've only done that a couple of times if I'm being honest with you as well so you know the 2-0 win and then obviously the 4-1 and then the 2-2 it felt like a win and it felt like a defeat you know yeah Jimmy's right we need to go and destroy him. so listen look QVR, Saturday big game
3: of course we need to win it forget about the fact that it's not the best away day not the best pubs you know and all that kind of nonsense let's just talk about on the pitch and what we're going to do on the pitch Thomas Frank and his team, he's got a few little extra little bits and pieces in there. Josh de Silva, they're obviously gearing him up to be part of this team. Is him and everyone else that's going to be in there? Are they going to make a difference on Saturday, Laney?
4: Yeah, I, I, I think I think the uh, I think the you know the, the vibe is is, is great. I, I, I we go there, we go there as I said a couple of times. We go there without any monkey on our back. We go there um, um, cleansed of this. Ridiculous, you know, losing run. So yeah, I, I, go, I go there. I go there confident. The players will go there confident. The players, to be fair to them, haven't been unconfident even during it. So we, we just need to go there, play our stuff, and the right result will happen. Score, three-one um, Brentford.
5: Well, I think momentum has shifted completely over the last few days. They're on their winning streak. Us on our losing streak. Both those runs got brought to an end. And chatting to the Rah-Rahs since then, they're all now saying, this is typical Rangers, we're going to start losing now, and when you're coming to town. So, I'm going to be honest, I don't think we'll lose. I think it's going to be a tight game. I think if anyone's going to win, it'll be us,
0: but I think there's a good chance that it might end up one or something. The guess? Well, I'm very keen for us to get this away Win monkey off our back. Um, I have a nasty suspicion, similar to what Jimmy says, it's going to be a tight game, and I can see it ending up as a one-all draw. Well they're looking at the draws, and for myself, I'm thinking we, we've got to get this win of our back.
3: I think it's going to be tight. We're going to be buoyed by the win over Millwall. We're going to be buoyed by the fact that you know people are trying to bully us and try and not let us play out the back and all that nonsense. And uh, I think it's going to be tight, but just one-nil to the mighty mighty bees down at QPR. So listen, we're here at the Distillers down at Fulham Palace Road, which is probably nearer to QPR than it is to Fulham, maybe I'm not sure, probably half and half, but anyway, we're here. The Distillers are taking really good care of us up cool very funky, very cool pub here if you're in the area, please come down my name's Billy Grant, I'm here with Laney, I'm here with Jimmy Mack I'm here with The Gaz and we've had a great evening, drinking, chatting football and doing what we normally do subscribe to us on Besotted.com, subscribe to us on Besotted on Twitter and uh, Facebook and also YouTube and everything like that but QPR on Saturday, big game we need to make sure we get three points because once we get that away win off our back trust me, it's going to be unbelievable the bees, they'll be unbeatable, they'll be unmistakable, they'll be indelible There'll be everything as we say, as we say.
4: Game come
1: on, you
2: The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year.